Hi, this is Bron Burton and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning. It's two minutes past nine. You're tuned to 102.7 3 Triple R. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. My name's Bron Burton. And I'm Farm. Hi, everyone. How are you, Farm? I'm coping. Excellent. <laughs> We're talking uh, about the, the peaks and troughs of emotions that come with the current state that we're in yeah totally it's uh it's week 735 of lockdown and i'm feeling it you are <laughs> yeah thank you um very much to um to tim thorpe for uh a wonderful six hours of vital bits this weekend three hours that he's just completed and thank you for ending on that magnificent archie roach and titters track uh, and thanks for broadcasting a bit of um, of Andrew's soulful bits from um, another time, not from the present time. So that was wonderful. You can catch Tim next Saturday morning at six o'clock for some more vital bits. And uh, in the meantime, we're going to spend the next 57 minutes or so talking about all things marine, all things wet and salty. And we're going to kick off by crossing to our very own cabin boy, Brett Ditchfield, who is our sailing reporter, who is going to be shortly talking about Plimsoll Line. Brett, are you there? I certainly am, Bron and Pam. We've got you on Skype and, um, yes, it feels like you're here with us. 
well, it is a little bit odd. I'm sitting at home looking out the window and it's not salty at all. <laughs> but maybe inside it is. It, yeah, very. Yeah, some of the language that was trying to get this to air was very salty. <laughs> Sorry, it's, I had to hear that, Brett. <laughs> it's, it has been uh, it has been technically challenging this time, and look, it's always, I guess, looking at the positive of all of this stuff. It's always um, a good opportunity to extend yourself in many different ways, including your vocabulary. So, yes, indeed. <laughs> anyway, shortly we'll be talking about Plimsoll line. Quick, um, quick. Sort of, you know, 10 words or less version of what we can expect to hear about Plimsoll. Well, it's a, it's a, a tricky one. It's a, that's that little kind of wiggly inscription on the side of a hull. And it's, um, it's got an interesting history. So uh, we'll be kind of going back and it's about saving lives. And uh, it, it's back to Britain. It seems like all our maritime uh, history and that starts from there. So it's a little bit salty and... Um, yeah, it's an cool. interesting story. So we'll, we'll explore that in the Cabin Boy Diaries. Fantastic. Rex has talked about the Plimsoll line before, but really more just in passing and mentioning what it was. So it'd be good to get into that in some depth. We're also going to be catching up with Mark Rodrigue from Parks Victoria. Um, I believe he's in San Remo. Uh, talking about this year's Sharing the Love. It's an annual gathering of coastal community advocates from all over Victoria. Normally in person, um, normally it happens at around this time of the year. It's being postponed in terms of the physical gathering until September at this stage. But we'll talk to him about some of the great community uh, advocacy work which is still going on for our marine and coastal environment. Yeah, that never stops, thankfully. It's uh, it's really wonderful. Uh, from there, we're going to be speaking with James Rule, who's a current PhD candidate. This one's a ripper. came through. Thank you very much, uh, Elizabeth McCarthy, for sending this one our way. Um, this is a discovery that actually happened back in 1998, and it was a, just a beachcomber wandering along the shore in Portland, picking stuff up as beachcombers do. So it looks like an interesting bit of something. Turned out it was a uh, three million year old fossilised seal tooth and what's happened since then is this one little tiny discovery has completely thrown everything that we've ever thought about our southern seals on its head in terms of our evolution and um, beyond that it actually gives us a bit of a glimpse of what might be to come with predicted sea level rise through climate change. Wow that all that from a seal tooth? Yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> so James is actually, this is his PhD subject and um, he's been, uh, I guess, exploring what this all means. So we'll be speaking with him about that. So from um, Monash University and also Museum of Victoria. So really looking forward to talking to James. And then FUM. Very, very important subject. Oh, yes. So uh, as you may have noticed, uh, I am uh, trying to keep a connection going with the ocean, even though I'm landlocked in Coburg. Um, and I've been doing a fair bit of uh, Googling to see what kind of activities you can engage in from home uh, by yourself or with your kids online that, that keep, uh, keep you connected to the ocean. So if we don't run of time, out of time this time, we'll, uh, we'll have a look at that. Um, specifically uh, at the Beyond Blue game that was launched by Ocean X. Uh, an explorative um, not-for-profit organisation who explores the ocean. So we'll have a look at that later. Awesome. bit of weather forecasting for today. We're heading for a top of 18 degrees, partly cloudy, very high chance of rain most likely in the morning, easing to a slight chance of a shower till late afternoon. Winds are northwesterly, 20 to 30 kilometres an hour, tending northwesterly to southwesterly before dawn, which has already happened, of course, and becoming light in the evening. Tomorrow, partly cloudy and 17. Tuesday, mostly sunny and 20. Wednesday, 19 and showers. Thursday, 13 and showers. Woof. Straight into winter. <laughs> Thursday, <laughs> if you missed that because I'm rattling through the days. Thursday, 
prepare your woolies. Uh, Friday 13 as well and um, Saturday 14. So, yeah, the, the take-home message from this, hovering around the high teens until Thursday and then we are going to get plummeted into some cold weather. Ouchie, ouchie. Mm. Uh, tidal times, I'll mention these anyway. Uh, at the heads, we're uh, heading for, we had a low tide at uh, 7.56, heading for a high tide at 2.40 this afternoon. And... That's it. If you want to check out surfing conditions, I'm not sure where we're at with restrictions around surfing at the moment. I think it's still the same. So if you don't live near a local beach, um, then don't don't go. Keep your bugs out of the smaller communities on the coast. If you do live near a coastal beach, check out Swellnet. But you already know that because you're regular surfers and you don't need us to tell you that. <laughs> you're already doing it. <laughs> I've got time for maybe one or two quick bits of news. What have you got there? Yeah, so on the 17th of April, um, a media release was released uh, from the uh, Sydney Institute of Marine Science and Southern Cross University. Um, this is a uh, cloud brightening project. Um, I could probably talk a full show about this because it's so awesome and it's also very scary. But what it is is that Dr. Daniel Harrison um, has developed a method um, to try and cool down the Great Barrier Reef um, during mass bleaching events that are brought on by uh, high sea temperatures. Mm -hmm. um, currently, we're in the third mass bleaching event in five years on the Great mm -hmm. Barrier Reef, um, so that's not great news. Uh, but what they've done is they have modified a turbine and put it on a boat, and this turbine actually sprays seawater droplets into the air, and those seawater droplets then evaporate and become nano-sized sea salt crystals. And they kind of merge with clouds in the air and vapor that's already there, brightening, literally brightening the clouds because they're deflecting solar energy uh, away from the water, especially in, um, in heat stress times. Now, I don't know what to make of this. I mean, the science is awesome, obviously. And then it scares the hell out of me because mm. are we changing the atmosphere mm. now? To, to prevent the Great Barrier Reef from, um, from bleaching. Um, yeah, obviously, th there's no chemicals being used because it's all saltwater particles that come from the, from the ocean. Um, but, yeah, I, I, th I think we really need to get this guy on air. Yeah, definitely. To explain a little bit about this because uh, they're doing tests at the moment and they're testing it at about one-tenth of the scale that is necessary to actually make it work. Um, mm. And so far, all the tests have been quite successful. Wow. Yeah, so it's uh, it's quite an exciting and terrifying uh, project that they're doing there. I, th I agree. Let's get um, let's get someone on to talk about that. We'll do that in more detail. I've got a couple of quick shout outs I just wanted to mention um, because there's been a bit of correspondence that's come through. Cliff Davis, who is a longtime Triple R subscriber and normally our only Antarctic um, <laughs> subscriber. No way. He, he subscribes from Antarctica. He's actually in Melbourne at the moment. Just a, something he sent through, and thanks, Cliff, for sending this through. Um, doing a walk along Balnarring Beach to Summers and said there's a lot of litter around Summers Boat Club and the, the locals down there are picking it all up, which is, you know, fantastic. Thank you so much to everyone who lives down on our coastal communities and are keeping things um, keeping things clean. But, um, yeah, just a really sad state of affairs that people think that that's okay. I've heard a few people say that there's definitely um, – we're in a time where people seem to be falling into one of two extremes. <laughs> so, look, thanks for sending that through. Second one I wanted to mention was just um, – this was from Emily and she had been out uh, doing um, some essential exercise on her stand-up paddleboard because she can't go surfing at the moment and noted a pod of dolphins in between the Sea Scout Jetty and the Modi Yacht Club um, but up, up near the northern part of the bay. Which was, um, which was fascinating. She said she's never seen dolphins this far up 
the bay and thinks they're on the move because of the absence of boats. Fascinating observation. Yeah, and uh, not not so far-fetched, right? I mean, they've got the, the whole bay now. They don't have to look at any of that. That's so it, yeah. Great. Uh, two more. One from um, Amelia, which was sent our way. I think this was from Amelia. And... This was amazing. Um, what looks to be a manta ray. She actually sent all the info into ABC but thought we might like to see it as well. And it was a, a manta ray stranded at Brighton Dog Beach. And uh, commentary here is authorities were called but sadly it died. I'm not surprised it died. Manta rays are tropical Yeah, rays. they need to be all the way up north. That really, that one really got lost. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of a manta ray this far south. No, no, me neither. But, you know, we do, we do get interesting stuff in the bay sometimes, including uh, mola mola sunfish. Sorry, Nerida's just calling over from um, our other studio, Studio 3. Nerida, <laughs> we're social distancing as we are meant to do here at Triple R. Aren't there manta rays around the south coast of New South Wales? No, I don't. I've I don't never seen one. No, no. Th- I mean, there's many different species of rays, including eagle rays that look a little bit like them. Um, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> but, but proper manta rays, there's a few different species and most of them are, are up in, in more warmer waters, but there are also pelagic species, so the really, really huge ones that just cross the ocean. So, yeah, I'm not sure what species this one is. It's hard to tell the size from the photo, but it's definitely a manta ray, so extraordinary. Um, the last one that I wanted to send you through for your opinion, from, um, this one was from Rob, and Rob was out on his stand-up hut board with Spike and uh, noticed... Spike... The dog. The dog. <laughs> Should have mentioned that. And um, saw in the shallows at Albert Park Beach last month. So this was in March. Um, under their paddleboard, I reckon it's a smooth ray. What do you reckon? Yeah, I'm looking at the photo at the moment, and it looks like a uh, a southern smooth ray as well. It's a lovely photo. Spike the dog is is intensely looking at this thing that's uh, just swimming underneath the paddleboard. Um, but the way the head is shaped and um, the way the kind of the, the the side wings are going in this photo. It's uh, it's 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 the southern smooth ray. Yeah, it's uh, one of the biggest. I think it's the biggest stingray species we have in the in the southern hemisphere. Wow, nice Thanks spot. It. Thanks for um, your correspondence, everybody. Fantastic. And you can always send us a note via our Facebook page. Is the best way to do it. Just send us a message via Messenger. Estamos escuchando Radio Marinada en tres triple R. And uh, indeed you are listening to Radio Marinara here on 3 Triple R. That was Underwater Moonlight by the Soft Boys from their 1976 to 1981 release of 1993. If you can follow, that's a little complicated. Um, heard that one on Breakfast just during the week. Thanks, guys. What an awesome track. 9.19 and you are listening to Radio Marinara here on 3 Triple R. And Brett Ditchfield, are you still there? I am yes. and eager to talk and tell you all about the, uh, the history of the Plimsoll line. Off you go. Well, I won't go too much into detail, technical detail, because I'm sure Rex has done that. But the plimsoll line is just a round circle with a horizontal slash across it. And it's painted on the side of a ship's hull to give you um, an idea of if it's overloaded or not. There's a few little other um, marks there that indicate whether you're in tropical fresh water, tropical water fresh, summer, winter or winter North Atlantic. So the temperature and the salinity of the water alters the density and hence the weight that you can put into a big ship. Now, that is what it is technically, but how it came about was quite controversial because um, in the early 1800s, a lot of the ship owners would overload their ship and then just heavily insure them. So um, send them off. uh, And even in a stiff breeze, a lot of these ships foundered, but the owners didn't care because they were still making money. So it was all 
about the money. Probably nothing much has changed today, but all about the money. The um, the crew, it was a different time. Often they were press ganged onto the ship, which meant once they signed up on a ship, they couldn't leave it until it came back to its home port. So if they, they got into a heavily overloaded ship, there was no way of getting off other than straight off and into jail because they've broken their contract. Now, the ship owners knew this, and when a ship got a reputation for overloading or not being safe, the uh, cunning ship owners would often change the name of the ship. Now, this is kind of the basis of that maritime superstition that it's yeah. bad luck to change a ship's name. Yes. That's kind of almost because, number one, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they would change the name. The ship would go out and then it would sink because it was going to sink anyway, but they've changed the name to get new crew on. So that's just a little basis of one of those um, superstitions there. So, so like thousands of of sailors were losing their, their lives all along the coast. As I said, not even in storms, just once the wind blew up because these ships were heavily overloaded. And along came the saviour in the the uh, person of um, Samuel Plimsoll. Now, I don't know a great deal. There's been quite a few books written about him, so you can check that out. But uh, he was a businessman and he became destitute when his coal business failed. So he kind of had a little bit of feel for the uh, working class man. And somehow he got himself elected to Parliament where, um, well, he kind of tried to pass some safety measures, which one of those was the Plimsoll line. But all the ship owners kicked back. Um, he's having lots of trouble. He almost got ejected from Parliament. And it took quite a while, death threats and uh, all kinds of things, for um, finally the Merchant Shipping Act to be passed um, under Benjamin Disraeli, which was the... Uh, the uh, Prime Minister at that time. So hence, that line on the ship was called the Plimsoll Line. Now, as I said, that's saved thousands of lives because now they had a measurement to see if the ship was safe or not, or one of the measurements. And you think, okay, it's lost in history, but it lives on in Plimsoll shoes. You might be, they're like a runner. I think oh, it's an English thing. Yeah. So it's got the rubber horizontal, you know, line around, which is the actual sole. And so hence it was called the plimsoll shoe because that huh. was like a plimsoll line. And if the water ever got above that line, it meant you were in, you, you got your feet wet. So <laughs> right. hence, you know, it was a safety measure almost. And was that, was it also easy to tamper with? Was that, is that the line, because it's not just like painted on then, is it? Or is it, is it carved into the hull or how would they do it so that it couldn't be tampered no, with? No, the ones I've seen when I've wandered the docks have just been painted on, but I'm sure, you know, it's a fair bit, it'd be hard to tamper with too. And it's in legislation. So hence they'd be open to lawsuits and all that if they are tampering with them, basically back in those days, especially. Yeah, I'm thinking so, if you go through all the trouble of uh, pretending your uh, sick is, your, your ship is going to sink and then rename it, you may as well just tamper with a plimsoll line. Well, that's true, but that was before the Maritime uh, Shipping Act came in. So ah, right. there yep. were a little bit of the cowboy days. I think once that Shipping Act came in, things tightened up and, yeah, they weren't allowed to, I suppose. Well, they would have had the Lodge Register too, which registered the shipping name, so they could have tracked it back a little bit easier that way. When did that act come in, Brett? Uh, that was, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> that was around 1876, I think it okay. was. Yep. So it's been around a long time. Been around a long time. So, yeah. Um, 
the other thing that probably you don't realise too is the London Underground sign, the little circle with the dash through. That is the Plimsoll line, uh, oh. Plimsoll um, sign, and uh, that was kind of created with uh, with a little kind of acknowledgement to uh, Samuel Plimsoll too. Oh, really? So that was so, done deliberately. Yeah, yeah. So it's been fancied up a bit. It's red and blue, I think, with underground written through it. But that basically is the Plimsoll line sign. So it still lives on, really, and people don't realise. And was it um, a, like a bit of a hat tip to safety? Is that why they've chosen to use that line? Do you Not think? sure. I, I think it was just quite um, – I, I think it was maybe just to honour Samuel Plimsoll because, as I said, he's kind of faded from history in a way. Not too many people know about that story. There are quite a few books written about him, which I haven't got written down, but, I mean, they'd be easy to Google to find out if you want to know more information about, you know, how that came about in his life. That'd be great. Maybe if you yeah. send them through and I'll pop them on our Facebook page, Brett. I will do that. And um, that's reading. You can While you're doing that, you can also listen to Always, which are a Canadian um, uh, band from Prince Edward Island. They actually played here last year at the Corner Hotel um, with Triple R. And uh, they have got a song called Plimsoll Punks. So oh, look really? them up too on YouTube. Oh, we got to play that next time. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> next time we have you on, we'll be playing Plimsoll Punks. How about that? Plimsoll Punks by Always. It's A L V A Y S. Yeah. Okay. And as I said, they were out last year. So uh, they've been around. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Brad. So that's the story of Plimsoll. I'm at the moment, I've bought myself some boat plans to build a little dinghy. So I've been cutting and sawing, and I'm going to tell you all about that next uh, next time. How to build your own dinghy. Diaries. Yeah, if I've got fingers to actually operate the uh, keyboard to uh, turn the mic on and that. So <laughs> Make sure you send us a photo of your Plimsoll line when you put it on the dinghy. I should, yes, I should do that. Well, it's a little dinghy to row out to the yacht, which our yacht's called Magic, so we're going to call the dinghy Tricks. <laughs> nice. Very good. Hey, thanks so much, Brett. It's been great That's catching right. up with you. It feels like you're here and, um, you know, that shouldn't come as a great surprise and we know that the, the quality of the audio through Skype is wonderful but um, it really does. It feels like we need to kind of have a Brett hologram or something sitting here with us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't know whether to, uh, like, get out of my PJs because there was going to be a, like, a because it's Skype that you could see each other or... <laughs> Yeah, so it was not. And then it's like, and I was so looking forward to an outing this morning coming into uh, the Triple R studios and it's like, here I am, still stuck at home. We'll make it happen next time. <laughs> Hopefully we're all over this. Yeah. Thanks, Brett. All right. Catch you soon. That. Catch you next week or next month. Next month. Bye. Bye. Brett Ditchfield there with our Cabin Boy Diaries. It's not. Hi, this is Tim Whitten. If you want to know what's going on in the ocean, tune in to Radio Marinara on 102.7 3RRR. You know where it is. We do know where it is. And um, just a bit of a plug, actually, now that Nerida played that cart for us. Um, Judith Lucy's got a wonderful podcast series, which is out. And her final episode uh, was um, put out, was published, released during the week. And it's, uh, it's featuring some work that she's done with Tim Winton. So when you're, you know, having a bit of a break from things... What's the name Don't of the like podcast? It. I actually should know that. <laughs> I put you on the spot there. <laughs> it did. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But um, I know she's been doing it. She actually mentioned it when she was in here last year. But um, it's all it's all now been um, published. So, nice. yeah. So, I have to put a link on our Facebook page. We will. Mm. Good idea. Something and dying. Sorry, Narada? Something and dying. I can't remember what the, the beginning of it is. Oh, okay. Just, uh, yeah, something. It's like I heard a voice over my shoulder. <laughs> 
Literally. <laughs> we, we've switched studios, so Fum and I are in Studio 3 and Nerida is in Studio 2. <laughs> it's a very strange world. It's a long-distance relationships. Don't, d- stop giving away the magic. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, speaking of magic, Mark Rodrigue is now on the phone all the way down in San Remo. Good morning, Mark. Uh, good morning to you, Bron. Very hard to hear, but that's all good. I'm uh, enjoying the uh, the rather uh, heavy rain down here in San Remo at the moment. Down here to help my mum out as she's moving into care, which is a bad time to be doing it. But anyway, we do these things for the people we love. We do. Life goes on, uh, and we need to do what we need to do. Um, now, let's have a little talk about sharing the love, and maybe for listeners who aren't across what sharing the love is, maybe they've just Sorry, tuned in Bron, recently. I'm... I can't quite hear coming through my phone. I could turn the radio on, but that's probably not going to work either. But uh, look, if I just give you a little bit of an overview of what's what's happened. Unfortunately, next weekend we had a major event planned for marine volunteers. And again, your station and and Radio Marinara has been a very strong supporter of us over the last uh, uh, nearly nearly eight years as we've run every two years an event called Sharing the Love. Uh, Basically, it's a and forum for marine volunteers to share their own passion for the marine environment with with others from across the state. It's a good way, even in in a normal times, of people who are sort of relatively isolated by isolated by geography to being able to get together and share their ideas. So, uh, this big event was supposed to happen next weekend. Clearly, with the world changing and the way it's done over the last month and a bit. Um, we had to uh, postpone that, and the good news is we were able to uh, secure the venue for uh, an event in September. Uh, let's hope, fingers crossed, that our, our normality has somewhat restored by then and we'll be able to get people physically in the same space together. But unfortunately, that's meant that a lot of the opportunities for volunteers to share some of their experiences at the moment are probably uh, going to have to be put on hold. I guess the good news is we've been able to start working on a range of options for keeping people connected with the marine and coastal environments across Victoria uh, in a virtual way. So, um, yeah, quite keen to have a, little, a brief chat about that, particularly when we catch up, hopefully, in a couple of weeks' time. And you might just want to tell your listeners about what, you, what you're thinking about the two weeks from now. Yeah, so uh, what we're planning on doing in a couple of weeks' time is having a virtual version of Sharing the Love, a slightly altered version, where we're going to um, have, uh, I guess, Mark uh, on the line um, via Skype, hopefully, via Zoom. We're not sure which platform yet. And then be crossing to different parts of the Victorian coastline to catch up with some of the wonderful people who do just great work all year round to clean up their beaches, educate people about what, you know, what their local marine environment is like, um, really advocate for conservation efforts, all that sort of stuff. So, hey, Brian and Farm, I can't hear anything at my end at all at the moment. I don't even know if I'm connected to you still. I can hear the odd bit every now and then, but that's pretty much it. I'm not sure what I'm talking over you, which if I am, I'm extremely apologetic. But look, I just just really quickly let you know about what's what's being considered at the moment. Uh, one of the great things is that we've actually had a lot of interest in looking at trying to keep people, keep people connected uh, virtually and starting to develop a visitor program. Uh, Parks Victoria, working with our partners in uh, Coast Care Victoria, uh, also with Volunteering Victoria generally for people who are obviously looking at other spaces apart no, from our beautiful coast and marine environment, uh, to start to think about some programs to keep people engaged during these times when we're a little bit more uh, disconnected. So, you know, following on from the great inspiration we got from Port Phillip Eco Centre a couple of days ago, we had the uh, virtual snorkel where I was delighted to see Fum's face on, online with a, with a mask on top of her head, unfortunately not in the water but certainly hello oh are you there mark can you hear us now no no <laughs> nope 
I think what we might do is end that one there. And um, thanks very much, Mark. And uh, we will sort out what's going on with our little technical gremlins in studio. This is the joy of operating from two different studios and oh, a multitude of buttons. Oh, and, yes. Um, Radio in the time of corona. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's always an adventure. But thank you very much, Mark. We will catch you in a couple of weeks' time. And um, Okay, no worries. Oh, you can hear us now right at the end. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll catch you in two weeks and um, and stay safe and really looking forward to the show in a couple of weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you, Mark. Oh, now we lost him. And he's gone. <laughs> well, it's a good thing with Mark. You can always count on getting the information anyway. So thanks, Mark. He kind of timed that perfectly. So, A <laughs> yeah. um, couple of quick messages that have come through from people. One from Dave Donnelly who um, sent me a text. Thanks, Dave. Um, this is about the, uh, the, the message that came through from one of our listeners about dolphins in the northern part of the bay. He says it's relatively and seasonally common. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. I've seen dolphins with babies just coming into St Kilda Harbour um, and also the Baranon dolphins sometimes visit um, the, the breakwater in St Kilda as well. Amazing. That's, it's extraordinary. And thanks so much for letting us know. Um, and uh, also on the comment about the manta ray um, being up around Brighton Beach, uh, he says pygmy devilfish or small manta type have been sighted in eastern Bass Strait in large numbers. We saw one on a blue whale survey in early March this year off Western Victoria. Cool. I haven't seen a pygmy devilfish. No, it sounds cool, though. It does. <laughs> Do we know what species this, this manta ray was? Has anyone from the museum been over? I'd be very interested mm. to know. I only saw the message last night. Yeah. so But, yeah, we definitely should find out more about this because it, it really does look like a manta ray. We'll post this on our Facebook page, and if you're interested, maybe you can chuck in your own commentary. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and, Elizabeth, thanks so much for the text. Overwhelmed and Dying is the name of Judith Lucy's podcast. Sounds fun. <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> Look, it applies to all of us right yeah. now. <laughs> Fun at Triple how, R. How prophetic calling it that, Judith. Hi, this is Wayne Lynch, and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3 Triple R. Indeed you are. And the time is 17 minutes to 10. Now, back in 1998, a citizen science doing a bit of beach combing in Portland made a discovery of a little tooth that turned out to be from an ancient seal. The discovery ended up changing our understanding of how seals evolved in southern Australia. The tooth discoverer sent the find into Museums Victoria, who, after confirming its age of three million years, handed the research ball to PhD candidate James Rule to find out more through his PhD thesis work. To tell us all about this extraordinary discovery and what it means for Australian seal evolution, we now cross to speak with Monash University and Museum Victoria's James Rule. Good morning, James. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Triple R and to Radio Marinara. All right. Uh, I'm now back in another studio where it's now um, 16 minutes to 10. James, I've done a big, long introduction. I don't know if you could hear me. Are you there? Uh, yes, I'm there. Thank you. Ex Hi. Hi. It's great to, uh, great to speak with you. And um, look, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Triple R. Um, I'm not sure if you heard uh, my introduction to you before. Uh, unfortunately, I did not. Okay, Sorry. all right. Look, just yeah. really setting the scene about this discovery back in 98. Three million-year-old uh, little tooth. It's the, the research ball's been handed to you as part of your PhD. So I thought maybe we might start with um, our current seals so we can kind of get to why this tooth discovery is so significant and particularly the teeth and the hind flippers. Let's, but let's talk about our current seal species in southeastern Australia. Uh, yep, sure. So today, if you walk along the beach, you'll find fur seals and sea lions, the, the seals that we're familiar with in Australia. 
And fur seals and sea lions are part of a group called the eared seals. And the eared seals are quite interesting because they have external ears still. So they have like pinnae like we do on our heads. Um, and they also have hind footers, so like the equivalent of their legs, which can be brought forward to help them walk on land. So they're quite an interesting and unique um, seal in that context. Yeah, so they it's almost when you see see one of these seals walk, they're almost sort of wobbling, aren't they? Waddling, I suppose, waddling on their back um, yes. back legs, which are sort of fused together, and then they're really using their front flippers. Um, mm. what, what about the teeth? Like, what, what is it about their teeth that's different from the tooth that was found in Portland? How did the tooth end up being such a big clue to this um, really interesting sort of mystery? Well, um, Otara teeth tend to be quite smooth and they tend to have one sort of big cusp. So a cusp is a sort of like a bump on a tooth. And we could tell that this tooth was quite different because it had um, a few extra bumps and cusps, which were indicative of a different group of seals. And it also had quite a rough texture. Um, and so basically what this meant is we could tell by looking at this tooth that it was from a different type of seal, completely known as a true seal. A true seal, okay. Yeah. So we don't have true seals. The seals that we're used to seeing here in Victoria are not actually true seals. Uh, no, no, they're not. So a true seal is um, something like a leopard seal or an elephant seal from Antarctica or maybe a harbour seal or a monk seal from the Northern Hemisphere. And so they don't have any external ears and unlike the eared seals, they can't actually use their legs to help them walk on land. So they actually sort of have to bounce or wriggle with their whole body whenever yeah, they, they want to be. They kind of go like caterpillars, right? Like that, that really wormy kind of uh, moving forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like definitely. a big blob. Yeah. That's a that's a really good way of describing it, Fum. They're like the worm. If you picture someone doing like that that kind of you know dance, I'm showing my age yeah, now. Yeah, totally. That, the worm. It, 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 that's what they look like, and that yeah. footage that you see from leopard seals is exactly what they're doing. Um, let's backtrack three million years. What do yep. we know about the seals that swam around southeastern Victoria back then? I suppose when we say what we know, it's really what we're hypothesising. But what do mm. we think they were like back then? So what we think um, is that they were, we know that they were a type of true seal known as a monarchine, which is the southern group, which makes sense because we are, live in Australia. And the environment that they lived in would have been quite different. So it was a lot warmer back then. And the sea levels as a result would have been a lot higher because there was a lot less ice in the poles. So we know these seals would have lived in a shallow coastal waterway and they would have hunted fish and squid quite similar to what most seals do today. Wow. I um, it, I read in the press release from Museum Victoria, this is the second earless seal tooth fossil discovered. Where was the other one? So the other one was actually found at Beaumaris, huh. so 10 minutes from Melbourne. And so that earless seal fossil was found in the 1980s and it is around 6 million years old, so it's quite a bit older. So what we have here from just these two fossils alone is the oldest evidence and also the youngest evidence of these true seals in Australia.
It's um, it's such a rich area down in Beaumaris and we know that it's been the subject of some real um, controversy over recent times about development down that way and really doesn't this just really make the point that one tiny little fossil, six million years old, found in Beaumaris is really, that was the, between that and the one in Portland that this has really kind of turned on its head our understanding of seals in Victoria and how they've evolved. Um, do we have any idea about why these ancient eel seals aren't around anymore in Victoria, James? What's What might have caused them to become extinct? Um, so we do have some hypotheses. The main one is that at the end of a period called the Pliocene, around two and a half million years ago, we know that there was a marine mammal extinction, and this was brought about by a change in the climate. So the warm sort of ocean waters that the seals were used to started to cool down and we started to get ice developing at the poles more and this led to a change in sea level so the sea level actually became quite lower and because of that all the shallow coastal waters that these seals lived in and all the beaches that they relied upon would have disappeared and so therefore they would have disappeared as well. This is a bit of a glimpse into potential future times. We mentioned this at the start of the program with predicted sea level rises and what that might mean for our current seals. Um, Yes, it definitely would. So the first seals and the sea lions that we have today, they rely not only on beaches, but they also rely on islands. So if you think of islands such as Phillip Islands, they've got um, quite a strong presence there and they rely on those islands and beaches to rest and to breed and to do everything that they're not doing when they're not in the water. So if we have a drop in, you know, a rise in sea level again because of the warming earth, that would result in these islands and a lot of these beaches that they rely upon disappearing. How far through your research are you, James? Um, I'm about three years in now. Okay. So this is really the first study. So there's many more studies on fossil seals coming soon. Oh, fantastic. So we'll be able to get you back and talk some more about this. Yeah, definitely. Because I'm Love saying, to. I'm guessing there's a lot of people out there who are who are immediately going to be fascinated um, with this, and so you've got some more papers coming out too. We've already put a link on our Facebook page um, to uh, to the museum's Victoria page relating to this specifically. Have you got any other suggestions of pe- where people can go for more information? Um, is a that's about good as good question. as it gets. <laughs> well, um. I guess you could follow me on Twitter. So on Twitter, I post a lot about the type of seals that we have and the fossil record of seals in general. Um, There's also more information on the Museum's Victoria website if you go to their collections online. So there's actually a little page about this tooth up on there as well. And we also have a story on the Monash website too. Excellent. And what is your Twitter handle, James? Um, It is... Paleo J Rule, so P A L A E O underscore J Rule. That's excellent, James. And let's organise for you to come back soon, maybe next when you've got another paper coming out or the next um, step to this, because I'm fascinated really in how your uh, thesis has been structured. And, um, and and just sort of more components of this because we've really just scratched the surface of what this is all about and what this means. So, And James, uh, one last question. Can we actually see this tooth somewhere once we can go to museums again? Is it on display? Um, so unfortunately, this tooth isn't going to be on display anytime soon. 
However, we do have a fossil um, sea lion that is on display, and that one is 500 to 1,000 years old, and that's the oldest evidence that we have of the eared seals in Australia. Awesome. All right, we'll settle for that then. <laughs> it's not a problem, yeah. And uh, the photo that you can see is really spectacular as well, and it's just over a centimetre, isn't it, in size? Uh, yes, it is quite small. It's yeah. pretty amazing when you think about, you know, the size of the beach down in Portland and that the person who was beachcombing just happened to find this this tooth just... Was it sitting there or was it embedded in rock when they found it? Um, I believe that it was um, embedded in um, a rock that was on the beach, yeah. if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. But the chances of spying that, it really comes down to not only knowing what you're looking for, but also a lot of luck. hundred percent and a real lesson in just keeping your eyes open. All right, thanks so much, James. We look forward to catching up with you again soon. No problem. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Bye for now. Goodbye. James Rule there, our PhD candidate from Monash University and Museum Victoria, talking about this three million year old tooth and what it has meant for our understanding of seal evolution. I think, uh, do we have one station announcement? We do, Nerida, and then we are going to come back and speak with Fum about some uh, wonderful computer game that you can play from your home, and it's all about the ocean. This Thursday on Triple R, we kick off a new program while Max Headroom is on hiatus. On Archival Revival, host Lex Cran will bring you a live tour from the Triple R archives every Thursday night from 7 to 8 pm. This Thursday night, Lex revisits New Zealand singer songwriter Aldous Harding's set, recorded live in the Triple R performance space in December 2017. That's Archival Revival with Lex Cran. This Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m. on Triple R. Thanks. Thank you for having us, Triple R. It'll be wonderful to listen to. Um, absolutely love Aldous Harding and her spectacular music. All right, it is uh, five minutes to ten. You're listening to Radio Marinara. Radio Therapy coming up shortly. They're, um, they're having a chat in the green room about the, what their program is going to be all about. Fum, over to you. Ways to stay connected to the ocean while we can't actually physically get down there. Yeah. Um, so before we launch into that, I just wanted to uh, read out... Uh, a text that we got from Neil Blake, our baykeeper. Yeah, great. Um, so apparently the ray that washed up, um, according to the Marine Response Unit and Museums Victoria, it was a juvenile Japanese devil ray or okay. mobula. mobula. Um, you can find um, a little bit of information on the fishes of Australia now, including a, a picture of said ray. Unfortunately, uh, didn't uh, didn't survive, but um, you can recognise them because they're large and bluish-black uh, devil rays with two white crescent-shaped patches on the shoulders in juveniles and newborns, and those patches will fade once they get older. And they have a white underside, often with dark patches, a prominent white tip on the dorsal fin, and the inside of the mouth is dark. So next time you see that, you can tick all the boxes. It's a Japanese devil ray. Fantastic. Thank you, Neil, Thank for you, calling Neil. that in. Awesome. Um, yeah, so if you want to stay connected to the ocean from your landlocked uh, <laughs> home, and, and especially if you have kids, um, there's actually a really awesome computer game that has just been launched by not-for-profit organization Ocean X, and it's called Beyond Blue. Um, you can get it from your uh, Apple arcades, um, download it, and, and, and give it a go. And um, just a little bit about Ocean X. Ocean X is a not-for-profit organization, and their whole shtick is to just explore the oceans. It's, it's quite amazing. They have a fantastic Instagram feed with lots and lots of information. Um, 
they send uh, marine scientists to every part of the ocean uh, to discover new species, to learn more about the ecology, including the deep sea. Um, and they've made a game about it. Uh, it's a, it's a first-person game, so when you log in, you actually play the person uh, itself, and uh, you play this um, marine scientist called Mirai, and um, she goes down into the ocean, and the point is that you find all of these animals, like humpback whales and uh, dolphins and all that kind of stuff, and you scan them for research. And then as soon as you scan the animals, um, the information about that animal will come up, so you can learn heaps about the animals themselves as you play the game and every time you finish um, scanning a particular group it will actually unlock a little bit of a, um, a few minute videos and a lot of those videos are actually uh, documentary footage from Blue Planet that hasn't been released in the actual Blue Planet 1 and 2 so that's why that's how this game was inspired oh, by, wow. by Blue Planet 2 um, so every time you, you finish a level uh, you can learn more about the ocean and sh see some amazing footage um, and there's um, also, Sylvia Earle has her own little video as well. Oh. She's one of the supporters of this project. Uh, so cool. there's a small interview with her um, and some interviews with the other marine researchers and oce oceanographers there. So it's really well worth spending a, a day or an afternoon or a few days of your lockdown uh, exploring the ocean in, in this virtual way. So, uh, yeah, Google Beyond Blue by Ocean X, and Ocean X is spelled O-C-E-A-N-X. And, uh, yeah, give it a go. Let us know what you think. Fantastic. We will definitely put a link to that on our Facebook page, Farm. It's so fun. Yeah. Um, Brett has just sent another text to a bit more reading about Plimsoll line. The Plimsoll sensation, the great campaign to save lives at sea by Nicolette Jones. So check that one out if uh, Plimsoll line and the history of that interests you to find out more. I mentioned on last week's program about Monterey Bay Aquarium having some of their live feeds. Um, they've now got live, uh, they've got some feeds, but with some of their experts talking through some of the animals that they have there on display and jellies in particular. So I, I hooked into one during the week. Absolutely fascinating. And George Matsumoto, who's arguably, you know, the number one in the world authority on jellies, was answering people's questions online about all of the different jellies as they were swimming by. It was absolutely magnificent. Wow. Whenever do you get the chance to do that, right? You're in Australia and you can ask the number one jelly researcher in the world your question personally. That sounds fascinating. It was so good. So it's very easy to find. Um, we'll put a link to that on our Facebook page too. We've got a few links to load That's up. It's going to be a busy Facebook page. Yes, it is. Hey. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.